Hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bannett. You're listening to the Daily Halacha, Kabbalah, and Machshava podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want more content like this, head over to yesodblocks.com where you can join and subscribe and get access to all the other types of things that we're sharing there. We're constantly adding new series up to Yesodblocks, and we also are upgrading the site itself. Today, we just added the capacity to do uh, WhatsApp. You can now WhatsApp directly with me. If you have questions, you subscribe to your Soulbox. You're one of our subscribers uh, for $9.99 a month, and then you get access to me through the website on WhatsApp. And any question that you ask, unlimited questions for subscribers, where literally anything you want to ask about Kabbalah concepts or things you hear on the on the site, any episodes that you're particularly curious to get more clarity on different things there, uh, or your relationship questions that are related to the Kabbalah concepts and topics that we're discussing, at Yesodblox, you can, you can WhatsApp me anytime and through the WhatsApp uh, account that is on the site, and you will get personalized voice note responses answering any and all your questions, assuming that I know the answer. Uh, so in this episode, we're uh, we're in the last halacha of Siman Mem Zayin, section 47, which is the end of Hilchos Birchot Torah, the brachos that we say on Torah learning, and we have uh, the last halacha is pretty short. This is Seif Yudala, the fourth halacha number 14. It says, Nashim Mevarchos Birkas HaTorah. Women are supposed to say the brachos of Birkas HaTorah, the brachos that we say before we learn Torah. So we have a few things to unpack with this very pithy, very short halacha here, just as that women are supposed to say these brachos. So first, uh, we have to just give a little bit of background here that there's differences in halachic uh, expectations of the Torah of what uh, men and women are supposed to do. So I just want to first clarify a couple things here that we need to understand a little more carefully. Uh, in general, when people talk about halacha, often it's this language of these are things that you have to do. And then when we talk about men versus women, so then we have a set of halachos that men have to do and a set of halachos that some of them women have to do and some of the women don't have to do. And so these uh, this concept of people having to do halacha, we've discussed it a little bit in the past, and I just want to s- sort of uh, organize it a little bit better. The general assumption of the Torah is that human beings don't have to do anything. In other words, we have absolute free will to decide what it is that we want to do and what not to do. There's no, there's no such thing as the concept of having to do something. It's similar to the idea of needs versus wants. No human being on the planet needs to do anything. Needs do not just exist in a vacuum. In other words, every need exists in the space of a want. What I mean by that is, let's say you tell me, what are you talking about? Uh, We need to breathe, or we need to sleep, or we need to eat. That's true, assuming that you want the outcome of being alive, that you want the outcome of being healthy, that you want the outcome of being uh, not hungry. In other words, every need is really uh, built on the assumption of a particular want. This is a really, really important point in general to understand yourself because we often abdicate our own sense of autonomy, our own ability to choose our life path based on statements like, well, I have no choice, I needed to do that. And that's not true. There's always other options. You always have the ability to do something else besides this thing that you think you have to do. The question is, do you want the consequence of doing this versus the consequence of doing that? When you think that way, that moves the, the empowerment needle from being not on you to on you. So if your boss tells you to do something and you say, I hate this job, I don't want to do this anymore, but I have to do it. So you can kind of clarify that for yourself that what you're really saying is, I want to have the the job security and the money that I'm getting from this. And so therefore, I need to do this, but it's a choice. In other words, since I want that outcome, that's why I'm choosing to do this thing. 
um, but it's not something which is really a need in the sense, in some kind of smaller way. And das tovara, the tendency that we get from the Eitzah das, the tree of knowledge, that makes us get fixated on particular perceptions out of habit, out of preference, instead of looking at things in a full, clear way. So what happens is we usually start off making choices from a place of understanding and wanting and choosing. And then as we get more embedded and habituated in our behavior patterns, then slowly we forget what it was that we wanted from this choice. And then we just think of it as strictly a need. Well, this is just what I need to do. We don't really spell out for ourselves the total set of of issues that we're dealing with when we make a decision like like uh, like where we need where we think that we need to do something, and so there's no such thing as things that we need. There's always free will, and so whenever the so when the Torah when the Torah talks about halacha, so it uses the language of chayav. You are chayav to do things. You're obligated to do them. So what does that mean? Well, first of all. In the Torah, towards the end of Parshas uh, Nitzavim, which is the end of Sefer Dvarim, so the Torah there says that you have a choice. Hashem says, I'm placing before you two paths. There's the path of living in alignment with me. Uh, I'm placing before you, I'm putting life and that which is desirable, that which is what you want in front of you, and that which is death, and that which is not interesting to you. I'm giving you, I'm placing both of those things before you. And then he says, You should choose the path of life, choose the path of, of what you actually want. And the underlying assumption there is that what you actually want is what Hashem wants, because at the root, you and Hashem are the same. Hashem is the heart of your heart. He is the self of yourself. And so what you want is really what Hashem wants. So there in that text, what Hashem is telling you is you actually have a choice. You can choose to live in alignment with Hashem or not. And halacha is just the, the actual practical, the practical actualization of the relationship that we have with Hashem. And so the choice is, do you want to live out this, this path and actualize yourself in alignment with Hashem practically or not? Well, if that's true, what does it mean to be chayav? What is an obligation in halacha? What is it? The word chayav, you have to do it. So the meaning of that is that we're talking about um, an obligation that is generated as a result of a, of a relationship dynamic. In other words, if I save your life, so now in a certain, so we would say that you're chayav to me. You have a certain obligation to me. In other words, given that I've saved your life, given that I've done something for you that is significant to you and that matters and that creates a bridge, a connection between us now, so now there is a, there is an automatic built-in reciprocity that is that is predicated on the underlying assumption that I'm someone and that you're someone. In other words, when I do something for you that is important to you, that is me now reflecting something called chesed. I'm sharing myself in such a way that actually validates your existence. As opposed to each of us intuitively senses, we know, each of us knows that we are someone special, but very often we're not seen by the people around us, by the world, and so we feel invisible. When somebody then takes care of us in some way, helps us, does something for us, so then they're seeing us. They are registering that we are someone that matters, and that validates our own sense that we matter, and it, and it reinforces our awareness that we think that we are someone. And so we, we're, the response to that is gratitude, because what gratitude is, is this, this awareness that that person saw me, and I see them seeing me. That's what gratitude is. Karatatov basically means recognizing what they did because it's something which they, they actually don't have to see me. In other words, since we all have free will, we can all choose how to be. They chose to behave in a way that actually illustrated that they do see me as someone. And so now I'm seeing them seeing me. That's what gratitude is. So, and you're basically... 
you're you're admitting that there that, that without their involvement in your life you would not have been able to be where you are so you're seeing them seeing you and you're perceiving what was given to you by them and so that is a chiyuv in other words when someone does something for you let's say someone gives you a job uh, or they they donate to your to something which you need money for so now they're seeing you and then when you say i admit i i i'm modé I, I'm, I'm acknowledging what you did for me. So you're seeing them in their seeing of you. And so that's what a chiyuv is. It's basically where there is this awareness that we have relationships with each other and that we do things that create connections between us and that leads to expectations uh, of reciprocity in our dynamic. Now, it can, that, that can go so far that then it becomes transactional. It's like, well, I did this for you. I helped you. Now you help me. And that now loses the relationship uh, connection side of it and it becomes much more like, well, I'm actually not seeing you. We're just objects. I see you as something that I can use so I can then, so I, I do something for you so that way you can do something for me. So now you become a tool. By the way, this is the root of the story of Cain and Hevel. This is exactly what Cain was doing. Cain was trying to use Hashem in order to get what he wanted as opposed to connecting to Hashem to then experience what he wanted. So these are two very different things. It's kind of like there's two real reasons why a person buys a gift for someone else. You either buy it because you want to connect to them or you buy it as a bribe, as a transactional thing. And that will actually very much be evident in the type of gift that you get because the types of gifts that we purchase are a function of what we're trying to achieve with that gift. So that's what a chiyuv is. It's essentially an obligation based out of interaction, relationship, dynamic interaction, relationship, sharing, and giving. And so in halacha, you don't have to do anything. It's that we expect you to want to do things that are in alignment with Hashem, because A, again, these are all the assumptions that are underneath the concept of chiyuv in halacha. We expect you to want to do these things because A, you understand what they're for. And again, that's often not the case. With halacha, we get very bogged down in the details, so we don't understand what these things are even for. We don't understand why they make us more who we want to be. But they do. Each of these halachos, they actually allow us to access deeper aspects of ourself and become more alive and more put together and more uh, integrated and holistic and, and just we just understand ourselves more fully. So that's what halacha does for us. And then there's also the relationship relationship component of it on a, on a deeper sense with Hashem. Because why would we why would we want to do these things? Because Hashem takes care of us. He saved us. He's, he's saved us many, many times. And in a deeper existential sense, he's actually in the constant process of saving us. All the things that we go through are basically a, a, a process of what's called geula, which basically means a process of unpacking ourselves from this constricted state that the Eitz put us in uh, based on our choices. And we're trying to now return to higher and higher states. And all the challenges in life are essentially the the substrate. They're the, the context for us to actually achieve that. And so individual circumstances like uh, when Hashem took us out of Egypt, which were particularly striking uh, and, and, and prominent uh, in, in our lives and in the world, so they're more emphasized in the Torah, which is why we often say that something that we're doing is uh, as a testimony to the fact that Hashem took us out of Egypt or something like that. And so that's the obligation side. We want to do these things for ourselves and for Hashem because we understand what they are and we understand what we what we are what what, what the what the nature of the relationship is that we are in and what Hashem has done for us. There's a lot more to talk about what Hashem has done for us and understanding who we are relative to Hashem. Again, I always direct you, yesodblocks.com, the Kabbalah cast, Kabbalah basic series, and the more advanced Kabbalah series that are coming soon, uh, where you can then learn a lot more about Hashem and your relationship with Hashem. That's really where that's all at. Um, of course, not to mention, there's also a lot of that in the Chumash cast in terms of actually analyzing the, the stories about Hashem relative to us. And so that's what we're, that's, that's what Halacha is all about. Now, the thing is that in our, in our, um, 
dynamic with Hashem. So there are two models that Chazal use and that Hashem really uses. Uh, and we have these models still today in some form, but they're definitely very modified. So the two models are what I would call Zachar and Nekeva, you can call them that, or Ish Ve'isha. Um, and there's a few terms for these, but we're just going to basically call them male and female for now. And male and female does not mean what you think in terms of like, oh, guys and girls and today's gender ideologies. The Torah does not have any of that. The Torah says that the concept of zachar means it is the it, it reflects a dynamic of extending oneself towards, like outwardly extending oneself. In other words, I'm taking what I am and I'm pushing it out into the world. And nikeva means the, the, the dynamic of receiving, of, of absorbing something and then building it into something within myself. In other words, right now when I'm sharing with you, I'm being zachar. I'm now putting out something into the world. I'm extending myself out into the, into the space of existence. And you're receiving it, so it's going into your mind and now you are absorbing the ideas and the thoughts and then you gestate those thoughts. You, you ruminate over them, you consider them and ponder them, and then you construct new ideas out of them. Essentially, you're, you're, you're pregnant with the ideas that I'm sharing, and then you gestate them into a child, in other words, into your own ideas that are extensions of the implications of what I'm saying, and then you give birth to those, and you extend those out into the world. You now become your own zachar when you now share your ideas with somebody else or with me. And so that's the concept of zachar and akeva. It's not male and female. It happens to be that the physical biology of reproduction directly reflects reflects this dynamic if you look at physical biology. So obviously the male side of physical, of sexuality is about extending himself out into the, the empty space of the world. That's what the male physical organ actually does. And the female uh, physiology of reproduction is about receiving what the man shares and then turning it, build, combining it with her own uh, body's components and building something new with his contribution. So that's the definition of male and female. That is, and that it, it's something which is, you know, that, that's, that's the, 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 Sharing versus the receiving, the extending versus the receiving is the is the clear or or completely pure definition, and then we have um, the physiological, like I just mentioned, the reproductive dynamics, uh, and then we also have this again, like in sort of more conceptual sense, like right now I'm being male and you're being female because I'm sharing, you're receiving. Um, but that can actually change. And so there's a lot of confusion in the world today about these types of things. These are different gender issues. Um, and it's because there's a lot, there's some people think that, well, physical things versus emotional things versus conceptual ideas of this, or what exactly is, does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? A lot more to say about these things, but the Torah framework is as I just laid it out essentially. And so you can think of it as in many ways, each of us is male and female. And there's the physiological side in which each of us has a particular set of tools that we were equipped with to do things in the world. And so in order to reproduce specifically, and so then that we call that male tools and female tools. Um, but in halacha, so there actually are different levels of obligation for people who have male bodies and female bodies. And that's that's something which is largely a, a reflection of, of physiological realities. And, and, and there's really two different parts of the story. The physiological part works like this. Um, males in general have much less physical um, immersion in the process of reproduction. And reproduction in the Torah's view is a central, if not the central, um, uh, manifestation of Hashem's self through us. What I mean by that is, if you are an endless self and you're manifest through the body that we each of us has, so then the, the process of existence is about you discovering that you and Hashem are actually one. And in that discovery, you can actually become more and more and more uh, developed through your fusion with Hashem. One of the, the key ways, by far the most prominent way that we experience this, 
in the world as an analogy for our relationship with Hashem is when we create a child with another person. Because what happens when you create a child with another person is the, that essentially your consciousness is now being transmitted through all the layers of your perceptions and thoughts and feelings and your, and your physiology. And you're now, you're, if you're the guy in this example, you're sharing that uh, in the final form of the genetic material that you share uh, into the female body for this. And the female body then receives that and builds it out into a child that is, that is in fact, all her genetic material from her side is also similarly a function of her consciousness through her perceptions, her thoughts, her emotions, and then her ultimately her physiology. And these are the spherot, the olamot, the translation organisms, the translation tools that we use to, to essentially um, merge what we each have into creating something that's totally new through the fusion of our being. And that's what, when it says, al of ish, et aviv et imo, so that we, we leave behind our parents and we come together and then we, we, we fuse into one body, which according to there's two different opinions, Rashi and the Ramban, one says that fusing into one body refers to the sexual act because you actually experience yourself with the other person as one body with two selves that are now fusing. And so that, that that's the hayul basar echad, you become one flesh. And then there's the other opinion which says that the child is actually the one flesh because now that child basically represents the ultimate fusion of the two of you into something utterly new. And so that difference in physiology, so the female role, obviously, her body demands a lot more in that process than the male body. And so the halacha essentially relates to that. And according to some opinions, that's why women are not uh, uh, obligated in certain types of halacha, uh, halacha and mitzvos because they are they are deeply deeply involved in these kinds of activities because their bodies you know it's not it's not a small thing to actually have to use your body uh, to create usually we create things with our hands we build things in the world but to use your body to create and to create in the most profound way for the female body is the ability to actually bring consciousness into the world we have no idea how that works we have no idea how a female body can take genetic material, build it into a full human body that somehow, and then how the human body that it creates acts as an antenna for consciousness to now manifest into the world. So that's, uh, if we could figure that out, we can crack death. We could literally undo people dying and bring them back. We could build bodies that would actually be able to achieve exactly the same thing that the female body already does. And so that's one reason why the female, uh, the female people who have female bodies are, are um, exempt from these types of, uh, of halachos that are specific to women, that are, they don't actually have to do them. In other words, they don't have an obligation. Um, we're going to talk more about the example of our Birch Torah in one second, so just just hang on. The second thing that we have in terms of Chazal's model of the female is that female versus male, females are less, uh, the shell between them and Hashem is less thick. So the reason, that's one of the reasons I'm going to just use this model because it's relatively simple, is that uh, the male was made from 50% ground, we'll call it, and 50% Hashem consciousness. So it's basically 50-50. The female was made from the male. So what that means is that, for, that Hashem took the male, which is 50%, 50%. So now you have you have half, you have a piece, we'll say, of the male. And the composition of that piece of the male is itself 50% um, earth is the, you know, afar, which basically means raw physical material. And it's 50% neshama consciousness. And then Hashem added another neshama consciousness for the other 50%. In other words, what you have, the proportion of raw material and consciousness in the male is 50-50. In the female, only half of the female is 50-50. In other words, 25-25. And the other half of the female is pure 50% consciousness. So that means the female is 75% consciousness and 25% raw material. So that why, that's why the female model is always described in Chazal language as being more resonant, more sensitive, more, connect, more connective, more naturally intuitive and in sync with existence because she does not have as much blockage between her and Hashem. What that means is she actually needs less 
tools to break through the distortion of the Eitz Hadas and actually see things in a balanced, clear way because she actually has less blockage between her and existence. The blockage from the Eitz Hadas is not as thick. And so what that leads to is a situation that we have here. In other words, what, what the Mishnah Brewer writes here is that women are allowed to say Birchas Torah. The Shulchan Aruch says that women, are, women say them. Um, now, the reason why this is an important thing to state is that women are not actually obligated to learn Torah. So why are they saying Birchas Torah? So here the Mishnah Brewer just adds, he says, um, what's the story here? Atam, the reason, this is in the Be'er Halacha, uh, one of the Mishnah Brewer's uh, essay sections, he says, So women actually, ha- they do have an obligation to learn the halachos that are applicable to them. Um, they also have to say certain parts of the Chumash every day that we all say when we when we say tefillah, we're going to learn more about that soon. Um, so since those are parts of the Chumash that they have to say, so they have to say Birkas Torah before that. Um, and so according to that opinion, they actually are obligated to say Birkas Torah because they're obligated to learn certain parts of Torah. The other opinion that he quotes says actually they're not obligated to do that really in that way, and so they don't actually need to say these brachos, but of course any woman who wants to say a bracha, so according to the Ashkenazi custom, if there's a mitzvah that a woman is not obligated in, like wearing tefillin, so then she can wear tefillin and say a bracha on it, even though she's not obligated because she's allowed to do it voluntarily. She's not, she, in other words, she she has she can choose not to do it from a place of there's no there's no downside if you don't do it. You don't damage your relationship with Hashem. You don't you don't augment the block between you and Hashem if you are a woman and you don't wear tefillin. But if you do want to wear tefillin and use it as a tool to connect to Hashem more, then you're allowed to say a bracha on that. Um, if you are Ashkenazi. So that's really what we're referring to here, that women here can say Birchas Torah, uh, and so the custom usually is for women to say Birchas Torah um, in the morning, and so, but this is the background model of why this is even a halacha, like what's the question mark over here, and the answer is that since women are not really obligated to learn Torah the same way that men are, so then the question was, well, should they say Brachos or not, and the answer ultimately is, you could if you want, you don't have to, but you generally the minhag is to yes, do that, um, and the idea of Torah learning, though, is that, and this is an important larger point, which we're going to come back to in the future, uh, is that um, often people debate whether women should learn Gemara, should learn other things, and my answer is always the same, which is that in the past, there was a lot more, there's a lot less uh, uh, counter-cultural information. The world was not filled with information the way that it is now. You know, 500, 1,000 years ago, I mean, we were the most literate people on earth, and we have been for thousands of years. We have more writings than any other nation, any other, like, in history, and that's older than any other nation uh, in terms of, like, extensive, integrated, full-on writings like the Gemara and the Midrashim that we have. It's always, it always makes it funny to hear debates about, like, you know, uh, other peoples and cultures from 2,000 years ago. I mean, nothing compares to what we have. We have consciousness, consciousness theories and consciousness descriptions that are more advanced than today's consciousness theories and descriptions, uh, and they're they're thousands of years old. So, and they're more and they're extensive. In other words, you read something like Sefer Abba here; it's wild. Like there's just crazy stuff out there that we just you know don't ever hear or talk about. Um, but the point is that um, that that was the main bulk of the information that we had, and women uh, got a lot of that uh, through exposure in their families because that was just what a lot of these what a lot of these families were about. And so, obviously, there's uh, a large variety of that, but there was less there was less countercultural information. To balance, to, to struggle with, such that then the Torah was needed to be as emphasized. But as time passed, there's no question that if you're if you're a woman or a man in today's world, so you need to learn Torah because we're constantly learning. We're always absorbing more information nowadays. That's the nature of the game. And so Torah needs to be in that. It needs to be if you're if you're. It doesn't matter what kind of body you have. 
the more Torah you learn, the more it's going to help you to get closer to Hashem and clarify things and not get confused by all the different distortions that are out in the world nowadays. And so uh, the question is relatively a moot point now. And anybody who wants to have a debate about the halacha of women learning Torah nowadays, it's actually, I mean, when you actually put them in a real world situation, they will always say, of course, the w- women should learn halacha, women should learn Gemara. It's not even a question because we need to get constantly uh, in- installed and reinforced in truth perspectives. And it doesn't matter what kind of reproductive organs you have at this point, that is such a necessary, uh, uh, such a necessity that there's really no other option. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. And uh, I would love to hear if somebody has a disagreeing viewpoint, you're welcome to share with me over WhatsApp um, on the Yisod Blocks. You can just go to yisodblocks.com, share what you think. Uh, in general, by the way, I want to hear feedback on this episode, all the other episodes. So head over to yisodblocks.com. You can WhatsApp me. Uh, and if you subscribe, you get unlimited voice note responses as well. I, I try to respond to everybody, but if you're a subscriber, you're definitely going to get unlimited voice note responses. So head over there and subscribe as soon as possible and help us to build this community so we can really get this Torah off the ground. And uh, we will see more Torah learning for everybody, irrespective of their reproductive organs, and only to try to keep create greater and greater clarity uh, and eventually bring the next stage of this whole process, the stage of Olam Haba. Thanks so much for tuning in and looking forward to having you join me in the next episode.